0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Japanese Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Amanda Kennel, one of the hosts of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Frenchie Lunning, author of Cosplay, The Fictional Mode of Existence. This book tackles the absolutely fascinating but understudied realm of cosplay. Initially associated with Japan, cosplay is now popular around the world. This book draws on a wide variety of resources, ranging from personal interviews to pictures, fan-made music visit videos and performances to magazines, to examine the role of identity, performance, and play in cosplay culture, and also offer up some fabulous examples of actual cosplay. Frenchie Lenin, welcome to the show.
0: Hi. Thank you, Amanda, and um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh,
1: I wonder if you could begin by telling us a bit about yourself.
0: Sure. Well, I um, have been a um, a professor at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design for 43 years. I counted up this morning so I could answer that question. Um, it's a long time. And I'm now retired, but I'm still adjuncting, right? I'm still teaching. And also this semester teaching at Macalester College just because they needed a sabbatical replacement. Um, I got into teaching just because it's what we call the family business. My whole family are teachers. My son's a teacher. Um, and we, um, in preparing for all of that, um, of course, it was about art for me, right? It was about art, theater. I was a theater my a major in uh, as an undergrad. Um, and uh, what happened was is that in, uh, oh, would have been about, um, about 1990, um, I went to the video store as we did back then, right? And my son picked out some animation, as usual, and one of them was Akira, which is in no way a child's animation, right? <laughs> Not really, yeah, no. Fascinated, right? So I let him watch it. Uh, but I fell down the rabbit hole. That was it. What is this, right? You know, I also teach the history of animation at. Um, MCAD, which is what we call Minneapolis College of Art and Design. Um, And uh, so this was like a completely different kind of animation. Um, And that's how I ended up getting into Japanese popular culture manga, right, because I had written my dissertation on American comics and masculinity. So then this was like another thing. It's like, oh my God, they have comics too that are way different, right? So uh, then... In um, two thousand and eight, I got a Fulbright to go to Japan and study manga. And I was in a—they have these um, secondhand bookstores called Book Off—with a friend of mine, and a colleague, and um, I opened up this one uh, manga. And I was like, "What? This was totally different than anything I'd seen before." And I said to my friend, "Like, what is this?" And he said, "Ah, that's shojo or young girl." manga, right? Shoujo manga is radically different than shonen boy manga, right? They're now these days, they're a little bit closer, but in those days, it was very much two different things. So that I became literally, uh, obsessed <laughs> with anime and manga. And, um, so, uh, that's how I, that's where I am right now. I'm writing my third book on shoujo manga and, um, uh, and the shojo itself. I mean, what happens is is that you get into the manga, you get into the history, and you begin to realize it is entirely in, encased in um, shojo or in uh, the Japanese culture. It's you know it has long tendrils into different aspects, and so that's really what I'm writing about now. That is absolutely
1: fascinating.
0: Yeah. I think so too. I, I can't wait to have time to get this done. You know, I'm supposed to do this when I'm retired, and yet I'm busier than I was when I was working full time. So I'm I'm gonna hap- it's gonna happen. It's just gonna take longer than I thought.
1: So, how did you get interested in writing a book specifically about cosplay?
0: Well, uh, that's an interesting story. I had written a book, um, uh, published by Berg Publishers, a little tiny publishing. Uh, publisher in Britain, um, they had asked me to write on fetish and fashion. Fashion is one of the other things I uh, work in. And I was like, fetish? The only thing I knew was like the dominatrix, right? I didn't know anything about fetish. So luckily, one of my ex-students from long before that is a dominatrix. Little did I know. So she got me in everywhere. And so I wrote that book. Then Berg, in somewhere between, I think, 2008 and 2012, asked me to write a book on cosplay. So, and they wanted it for, uh, marketed towards cosplayers. Cosplayers are uh, high school, junior high, high school, and usually undergrad, right? That's kind of the spread, age spread. There are much older people and much younger people, but for the in the main audience for that uh, market is those things. And so I started researching. I went to Japan a couple times in 2012 and then in 2014 working on this um, and getting interviews and going to events and so forth. And here, I was always going to anime cons since I watched Akira, of course, but I also got involved with several different groups that I followed of different sizes, a small group, a medium, and a really big one, right? Um, and watched how they worked and sat in on their meetings. And I even, uh, like, participated <laughs> in the big group. Um, and uh, just got notes to find out about it. And luckily, when I was in Japan, I met um, Takuki Tatsumi and his wife, Mari Kotani. Um, and Mari, as it happens, was the first cosplayer in Japan. And that's a really great story. Um, but anyway, so I wrote this book um, and my little publisher Berg got swallowed up by a larger, uh, much larger uh, publisher. And I'm not gonna name him, but um, we didn't get along in terms of, uh, you know, what, what, what that book was supposed to be. So I took it back from them and gave it to the publisher that I work with because I also am um, editor-in-chief for a journal um, uh, called Macadamia. And it has, it does basically the same kind of spread of Japanese culture, popular culture. And so I asked them, I said, do you want this? <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. And they read it and said, yeah, we'll do this right. Only it has to be academic. So I had to go back and completely reconstruct like the first part and then add the theoretical parts, which is really where I am. I, I'm a theoretician and I like writing about this kind of thing. So it really became the book I really wanted to write uh, in the long run. So then um, I was published, um, I th- I'm not sure, does it say on there when it was published? Po- I think it was just recently that it came out, I think 2021 or something.
1: Uh, I thought it was last year.
0: Yeah. Yep. 2022. Well, you know, we've we've been working on the thing for such a long time. Um, Publishing a a book uh, takes a long time from the moment you submit it to publication is years. I mean, it can be a couple of years. Right. And so that's what it was. Anyway, that's how I ended up working in cosplay. Right. Was that I was asked to. Right. Because, again, it was kind of a fashion thing, but it was also Japanese popular culture. They saw it as even though this we in the United States have a massive, and I mean massive, level of cosplayers that are out there all the time. So,
1: yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like something of a saga, really, to get it uh, published. (laughs) And then, you know, I can't help thinking, uh, as you were talking about the, the long, long journey to publication, too, even... Just recording this interview, unfortunately, we had to delay due to illness. And it, you know, we've, yeah, it's, now, right. yeah. it's it took what, four months since we yeah. started talking yeah. about it? That's right. Yeah. Oh, my. um Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. Now that it's here. Now that it's here, yeah. You mentioned that cosplay is, is such a, I mean, it's such a huge thing in America. It's such a, a subculture almost on its own. How does cosplay differ between America and Japan?
0: That's an interesting story. And that was something that I was also trying to figure out by going to both places and working in both places. So let me just define cosplay first, because that does make the difference. So um, there are lots of costumed Um, fan and fandoms, as we would call them, right? Lolita is probably one you're familiar with, right? That's not cosplay. Cosplay is the uh, sort of matching the costume and character and performance of a uh, culture, pop cultural narrative, right? Specifically. Um, And, you know, Initially, it was just anime and manga. Then it was anime, manga, and gaming. Now it's like there's lots of uh, Sherlock Holmes cosplayers. There's lots of things, and they're sort of on the edge because generally speaking, uh, cosplayers are popular culture, and there is an image to go by. Sherlock Holmes has lots of images, but none of them were done by Conan What's his name? What I can't remember his last. Sir Arthur year. Conan Doyle. Yeah. Oh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And so there, that sort of rides a fuzzy line, but there are still many, many Harry Potter uh, cosplayers and so forth. Um, and so, um, cosplay in America is done. The reason you don't know much about them is that it's performed almost. Entirely and discreetly in uh, conference hotels, um, and they're, they'll take over the hotel, and I mean, take over the hotel. The the hotel is just like, okay, you know, they're they're braced, right? Um, because it's just you know, thousands of people right? For a whole weekend, Friday usually starts Friday. Saturday night is the big masquerade where there is enactments of scenes, right? And then Sunday is kind of, you know, the a decompressed day. But it's usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And um, and that's why, you know, people don't really know much about cosplayers because they're discreetly performing in these hotel cons, right? There are lots of small cons, a lot of, uh, interestingly, a lot of uh, public libraries will have little discreet uh, cosplay Uh, sort of competitions, right? I even uh, judged one, right? You know, so there's judges, right? This thing is very complicated. The judging is very serious um, and so forth. And so I've been asked to judge in these little tiny ones, you know, um, so that there is a way in which cosplay um, is is very appealing to young people, right? There is this chance, and this is part of what the theoretical mode is, is to be somebody else for a little bitty while, right? And so it's very alluring, particularly for younger, uh, younger people, yeah. So in Japan, however, um, it's very much uh, against the rules to show up in public in cosplay. Lolita, fine. Some of the other costumes, Zoku or tribes, fine. But for whatever reason... Cosplay no, cosplay shows up mostly in big, uh, well, big site, which is I don't know whether you're familiar with that Tokyo is. It's out in the bay. They built it out in the bay. I mean, they're pushed away as far as they can from the city, right? <laughs> they're out in the they're out in the bay, um, and it's a massive building, just massive. And even inside those conventions, cosplay can only happen in the tower. You can't be costumed in cosplay outside the tower. So it all is very discreet in this thing. Now, um, what's happening recently uh, is like, there is the uh, World Summit, the Cosplay World Summit, and that happens in Nagoya at the end of July, first of August, somewhere in there every year. And that, the whole city, basically embraces the cosplayers right and there's a big parade this parade is incredible goes on for a long time because all of these cosplayers have been through heats in their own countries cosplay is all over the world by this time even russia even you know uh, far-flung places all have um heats in their own country where they you know perform and they're judged and then there's a final a group that is chosen that comes to the World Cosplay Summit. There are other of these kind of big summits. Um, there's one in a Euro in Europe. I forget the name of that one, but there's also one in South America, uh, and uh, and I think there's one in Hong Kong. But um, so these are this is a very different. This is you know other than in Japan, and even in Japan, this, the World Cosplay Summit is just this amazing. <sighs> Uh, wonderful performance. This is the best of the best, right? And it's just incredible. Um, now they also have, um, in Tokyo, um, I was invited to um, by, to um, go to um, the, a park, a very large park, uh, amusement park, right? And so forth. And they will have events like that, very discreet events. And you have to choose your area where you stand, right? In other words, you can't wander around much. Um, and because, again, this is about controlling the performance. And they dress, literally, they have a building, one floor for females, one floor for males. And you get a, 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 like a two-foot square with tape on the floor where you dress in. You have to arrive in street clothes and you have to leave in street clothes. Right. So it's intense. Um, and so, uh, I wandered around with, um, with my good friend who basically got me into almost all of these Japanese things. Uh, Edmund Hoff, uh, known as Edo, that's his, uh, cosplay name, but he's a very key part of Macadamia now. Right. And he's a key player on a lot of the, uh, different conferences cause we have conferences and we also publish a journal. Um, but he's kind of, uh, he, he basically introduced me to, um, cosplay in, uh, Japan, even though he's Canadian, he's lived there for a very long time. Um, and so, uh, that was, that's the biggest difference is that, um, oh, wouldn't you know, the cat walks in, right? Uh, uh, so, um, the, Difference really is one of a kind of welcoming. In other words, if you see somebody in cosplay out in the US, you might get stared at, but nobody's going to think it a bad thing. They'll just think, oh, look, a cosplayer, right? Um, whereas in Japan, it's frowned upon, it's just rude. And so that's, I think, the biggest differences.
1: That's fascinating. I mean, yeah. It implies there's a very high level of understanding of uh, cosplay in Japan if the average person can distinguish between the, the sort of costumes you were describing, uh, like Lolita mm-hmm. uh, that you said is okay to be outside versus yeah. a cosplay costume. Yes
0: yes yes and you know many of the shoujo manga from like the 1970s and 80s looked very much like lolita and i think that may have been part of the you know where it evolved from but you know still if it's cosplay it's it's negated it's rude whereas um in tokyo um used to be Harajuku bridge this was this bridge where all the zoku the costume zokus would gather by the time i got there there were like one or two, there was like not very much. Right. And so I was, um, in, um, um, the horajka um, subway station and saw a Lolita and I followed her, you know, subway to subway because, you know, it's massively, you know, no, she had no idea I was following her to see where, It was happening now right but i lost her i mean the crowds are massive around there right and i just lost her so i was went on an interesting subway ride, and then i had to figure out how to get back but um but this uh but it changes you know the these things have changed this is uh very early on when i started working on this book and this would have been from like 2008 or so to about 2016 because i could only get so much at so much time and then of course all of this changing happening with the uh the publisher so um yeah and so i finally got it done <laughs> it was you know it's just sitting on my neck oh another thing that happened was i had all my my research and everything sitting in my studio uh, we went away for the weekend and the ceiling fell in and crashed everything <laughs> So a lot of it was like mixed up with like plaster and stuff. So it took me a long time to sort through, clean things off, try to find where stuff went. A lot of it was torn and stuff because it was a plaster ceiling. So it was like unbelievable. Luckily, um, the cat we had at that time wasn't there and none of us were there. But yeah, so that was another kind of halt for like a month while I got all of this stuff out of the trash really it took
1: you so long to write the book that it uh, became an archaeological dig.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the interesting part was it did become an archaeological dig so that when I got to the point where I was going through the book uh, in terms of the copywriting, you know, the sort of cop- proof proofing, right, I had to add things constantly, right, because different things would start to evolve in. Now there's two, um, two, point, two point D Um, uh, theater, right, which is cosplay, you know, an uh, an evolved cosplay performative thing, right? So I I had to, like, put that in because um, it should, you know, it had to be there. It was part of what was happening. And so it has this, you know, this, a lot of things that uh, were then had to be put in and then had to be put in. And so, you know, finally, they told me at the press, it's like, you're done. (laughs) it's, It's done, right? We're not printing any more than this. We're not bringing any more things in, right. (laughs) Even though it continues to evolve, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, good research always does continue beyond any given publication. Uh, With the idea of history in mind, though, I remember um, when I was reading, cosplay seems like a relatively new phenomenon, and I knew it went back a little bit, but you traced it so far back. Um, Could you?
0: Yeah, Yeah, right. Well, part of it was... um, I wanted to trace the human evolution of wearing costumes. I mean, of course, since uh, humans became humans, they would put like things on for ritualistic kinds of things, right? And so you had to address that. But it comes through, cosplay comes through a very, kind of a surprising uh, two strands, right? In Britain, it came through, and basically here too, and in uh, also in Japan, comes through science fiction con- uh, conventions, right? Um, and science fiction, of course, is a kind of modernist formation in the late 19th century, and then you know mostly in the early uh, 20th century, where science fiction um, conventions sort of started in like the 1930s late twenties and thirties and in Britain too, right? The same kind of thing. And in, uh, also in Japan, right? And I'm sure in other countries, right? But, um, they would dress up, they would have costume events. Uh, so they would dress up as shock Holmes or something like that. And I show in the book, some kind of, um, space guys costumes, right? That they were sort of dressing as key people, but from books, right? From text, But this, you know, this notion of dressing up and performing in the con is a kind of ancestor. So that's why I sort of started there. Where it begins in the US, of course, is with the Trekkies, the Star Trek people in the 1960s. Um, there were um, Star Trek conventions almost as soon as the thing went on, right? Because it had a massive following. Um, and uh, people would, you know, and the, the outfits that they had, I mean, I'm sorry, but tr- Star Trek in the beginning was very low budget. <laughs> and, you know, they were wearing things like, you know, uh, like a, a, t- a sweatshirt top and some like sweatshirt pants, right? With a little, you know, uh a pin on it. Right. I mean, it was very simple. So, so reproducing it was very easy. Right. Um, and so um, I think I wrote down here. Um, so Rob Hansen, who was uh, um, someone who was tracking this stuff, uh, said that it started in his opinion and um, at a sci-fi con in 1957, when um, there were seven Spocks. <laughs> <laughs> And there was other people who, you know, because all we have are these people who write about it. So it may have started earlier, right? Um, But there were these... Incidents um, that we get from texts. This is part of the research, right? Is going through and reading the Fred Patton, who was a guy who started writing and about the this time frame about popular culture, um, is where you can get a lot of this information. And his files, he's gone now, of course, and we have a lot of his files um, are held by I forget where a friend of mine got me into it and somewhere in California. At, at university there, um, and she had pulled stuff already, and, you know, I had access to that. And so that's where a lot of these early things come. But also at the Nagoya um, Worldcon um, in, I think it was, I was there in in uh, 2012, was it? Or, no, I think it was in 2018. And um, there was this guy named Widya Santoso, who was, he's just a guy who's been in all of these conventions, and uh, Ed, Ed Ed Edo introduced me to him, and we spent hours sitting there talking, and I'm just taking notes like a crazy person, right? He gave me a lot of names to chase down for people who knew different parts of things, uh, and so forth. He was just a great guy and gave me so much information, Um, and that took a while to back, you know, to find people. Not everybody's on email, particularly from that generation, right? So just, you have to track it and so forth. It was kind of fun. Um, So I got lots of information from lots of places. And then, so in Japan, what happens is, yes, they're still doing, uh, people are, you know, dressing like science fiction characters from books, right? So that's kind of cosplay, but not really, because you don't really have an image. Um, Except that Mari in 1978 is at a sci-fi convention, and she dressed as... Uh, the lead character from Edgar Rice Burroughs' A Fighting Man from Mars. And she gets the character from the cover illustration. And so she dressed like that. However, there were anime fans because they re- began to have anime screening rooms in these sci-fi conventions. And they saw her and thought it was from Tezuka Osamu's Triton of the Sea, written in 1969, because the cover are almost identical. So luckily in the book, Mari had a picture of her costume and these two things. And that, so the people who saw her dressed as they thought from a a manga then started dressing and that's how it started in Japan, right? So we actually have that down, right? So um, it's a fight, you know, going down and figuring things out it gets to be a difficult thing. So the Star Trek people in the U S this mostly started happening in the early seventies. Um, and, and at uh, start or at, um, yeah, Star Trek, uh, conventions. And so then when anime conventions started and I'm sorry, I don't have the exact time, but I think it was in the late eighties, early nineties. I can't. Yeah. I just can't remember. I forgot to put that one down, but, um, then they started, you know, in uh in not just you know Star Trek, but almost immediately people wanted to dress like, you know, different, you know, Rosa Versailles, uh, Lady Oscar, you know, that I did that one myself. Yeah. Lovely old, costumes. Old uh, Lady Oscar, right? Because I'm not a young person. But anyway. Um uh, But it happened almost immediately after that and it expanded exponentially in those years. Um, And it's very, uh, you know, all through the spring and summer, there are so many anime conventions now and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, even maybe millions, um, attend in costume. You walk in there and it's a different world, you know. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's very fun. But that's kind of the history of it.
1: That's kind of a the key part. You, you say it's like being in a different world. You talk a lot in the book, you analyze cosplay in terms of these deep personal concepts like identity, expression, and embodiment. Um, why are people drawn to cosplay?
0: I think, well, my key understanding, and this is like I've talked to a whole lot of cosplayers, but uh, they all um, – a, uh, most of them were smart kids in high school, and most of them did not have a lot of friends, right? So that they, you know, they had. there is a way in which they are abject as themselves, right? So I talk about abjection, and abjection could be something that you, you know, you may not even be aware of, right? You may be uh, in, in uh, sort of the Christavian, who's, this is a, uh, a woman who wrote um, in kind of Lacanian, who was a psychoanalyst terms. Um, and that is somebody who, uh, an abject person is just doesn't want to be themselves. Really. They just want to like be anybody else, but themselves. And they are the, the people in high school who dress like other people or who dress like a celebrity or, you know, you can see them online all the time, right? All of these selfies where they're sort of like dressing like, uh, you know, a sexy person that looks like all like the other sexy people. Right. Um, but it is a way in which when you dress in costume, you get to um, inflate into another identity. The The thing that is most modernist um, about all this is that we tend to refer to ourselves and other people as an identity, as a singularity, but a point of fact you're a different person with your lover, with your children, with your friends, with your teachers, with your bosses, with your with your employees. You're a very different person. You take on a different thing that sort of involves your position in that particular social situation. And so, becoming Harry Potter at a uh, convention, right? You're allowed to be something fictional, right? Now, most of these people have literally know the dialogues by heart and they start iterating them almost immediately, right? If they see somebody else from Harry Potter, they go into a scene, right? It may not be the exact scene. It may just be playing with the words and the identities, right? But it is uh, fascinating to watch because this happens like constantly, right? I, in fact, sat on the floor against the, you know, this is what people who are tired out from the con, they'll sit in the big place where everybody's missing. But I was pretending to be tired. But meanwhile, I'm watching all of these kinds of little performative things happen, right? Because what happens here is kind of an exchange of uh, character and joy, pure joy. They're so having so much fun, so much fun. A mother came up to me... um, So I was kind of involved with the beginning of, um, Anime Detour, which was the original, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, Anime Con. And, um, during that time, uh, a mother came up to me of a junior high school girl, and she was like, thank you so much for this. She just, you know, nobody likes her in junior high, and she doesn't have any friends. And all of a sudden, now she has all of these friends, you know, from all over the city. And, you know, she was so happy. And, um, and she said, this has just changed her life, right? And I think that's the case, right? For many people, it's about that. For other people, it's about craft, because many people take up the craft of, like, building guns, like, you know, this sort of uh, weapons and helmets and body armor and stuff, and they learn how to make this stuff, and they become an armor or they become a, you know, um, a sewing um, a costumer, right? Um, and there has – because you are judged on that. If you go through the masquerade, you are judged on it. Um, and there becomes a, a way in which you uh, – you, you come into a craft, you come into an art form in which you can produce and excel, right? So there's both of these kinds of things happening in this thing. And people who do good costumings, everybody knows who they are. They all know who they are. So, and even though, you know, it's like how this happens, well, you know, on the internet, right? And <laughs> as everything does now. Um but it is uh, it so people get different things from cosplaying but f- for the main thing is it's as fun and that you can in in uh, involve yourself in a different identity for a small while it may not be specifically those of Versailles or lady oscar right it may not be spe- you know very specifically that character but you're someone else like that character right that you can have a cape you can flourish, right? You have a, you know, weapons, they are very, very specifically called out. They are not used in any sense and they're guarded and all this other stuff, right? But you can have a sword, you know, and be cool. You can, um, you can be maleficent, you know, Disney's the princesses are all over the place right uh but Maleficent is my favorite right you can you can see lots of them and you know and very complicated costumes and done beautifully right um and so uh that's why? That's what they get from it. It's just pure joy and a sense of accomplishment, a sense of enhancement of themselves, their sense of existence. That's why it's the based on these theories the, that Sorio and Latour talk about modes of existence, and that's where uh, that that joy and that sort of release from being oneself that seemed to be to yourself not as good. Maybe you know how adolescents have lots of problems of feeling adequate, you know, Um, and society doesn't help them out very much, but cosplay does. Um, it, It gives them something that they, and they come together in groups that last. I know several groups that are still so strong as friends and so forth. And some people are married out of those groups and, you know, because something amazing happens, you know, they make contacts on a different level.
1: So they really do. Uh, you, you pointed out at one point that uh, some people are more into the craftsmanship and some are more into the community, but those communities really do sound like they last.
0: They do last. They do last. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I mentioned in the book, you know, there was one wonderful group, Nya, was the, cause the sound that kitties make in anime. They were a wonderful performance, way fun. I loved working with them. But, you know, they had a disagreement that happened, you know, as happens with groups, and it fell apart. So it's not like all of them last forever, but there's another one, the Vanessa um, uh, uh, Horrocks, uh, and I'm afraid a married, named Powell, I think it is. Um, she's um, incredible, and they're still working, right? And she's married to one of um, the people in the in the group um, and she's the one who in the back of the book or what the end, you know, she's in the closet. So how she would, you have to record the sound effects and so forth and the music. And so you, she would get into, she had a big costume closet of all her cosplay costumes and all of her group would get in and their scripts and so forth and they would record it because it was a good sound booth. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, they would listen to it. Oh, let's alter this and this and like back into the closet re-record and stuff like that. And that's why for me, thinking about that when I was ending the, the whole book, it was this idea of this group that is looking for perfection, looking in performance, right? Performance of these characters, and in sound, and in you know volume and richness and so forth. I mean, they're they're theatrical actors, is what they are, right? That's what happens: is that you become an actor, and that these this mode of existence of being able to to lift into that mode. It's really a lift you feel when you do it, right? Your your mundane existence, your into something else. It's, it's a lifting experience, right? And so that you can, you know, and most of them walk down the halls in character, right? Unless they're with their friends and it's too weird to do. But, uh, but a lot of them, uh, are like that through the whole, they're that character through the whole con con. or they have different characters they do every day or, you know, I mean, it's just a, um, a part of the beauty of it is that you get to do whatever you want within that you know confines of the con rules right and what they allow and don't allow uh, and that has to do also with the hotel as well that yeah
1: hearing you speak more about it makes me think back on what we were talking about earlier with restrictions and think of it more in the sense of ritual um, like you mentioned the two by two foot box that japanese cosplayers get taped out on a floor to change and it becomes almost a ritual transition space um, totally. totally yeah Now, at the same time, when you're talking about uh, performing and I I think about, you know, the cosplayers becoming actors or like a a form of community theater. You said something interesting in the book about how some cosplayers bear their faces under makeup, whereas others choose to wear masks. Um, What role does masking play in cosplay?
0: um, If you're talking about the Kigurumi, the total mask. So a lot of people just use their face and put makeup on, right? Most people do that, right? Because it's really, you know, masks are difficult. But there is a category called the dollar, D-O-L-L-E-R in English. And they're called kigurumi. um, Is their sort of name in Japanese. And they're really much more in Japan, although I've seen some here. Um, So they dress, usually it's males dressing as females. And the mask is a full mask, you don't see any of the fa- the head of the person. And frankly, you don't see any much of the gender, right? It's a gender-free <laughs> exercise. And um, so they have little mics inside the mask, right? And there usually is someone who guides them because they can't see all that well, right? Because they have little holes where they can see, but they can't see all that well. So he guides them in or she guides them in. And he's got earphones and then he tells you what they say. You can ask them questions and they'll answer, but he'll tell you what the answer is, right? Um, I talked to two of them that were at um, the park I was talking about and, uh, and they, I, they wouldn't let me photograph them. Um, well, I did, but I didn't, I did it, you know, but I couldn't put it in the book, right? Um, and uh, they didn't want to be named And so forth, but they both were dressed as Sailor Moon, the Sailor Moon girls. And um, they were both male. Um, They had uh, come to the uh, park on the subway in mask, which is, you know, hard to do and, you know, judgmental, right? They were being judged a lot. And it's, uh, this gender thing plays a huge role in Japan right now. I mean, it's a it's a major issue here too, right? I mean, uh, yeah, gender and sexuality are what, what we're dealing with now, you know? And um, so this kind of bravery uh, in terms of staying or doing costume, uh, particularly, you know, cosplay in Japan especially, but here too, uh, is really something where gender also, is allowed to be excused, and you can move into another gender, right? Um, and these uh, these two men were really interesting people, and we talked for quite a long time. You know, and they, they said it was, they felt, uh, I, would, we, I would say from what they told me that they would be called non-binary here. That's the term we use for somebody who doesn't feel necessarily male or female, And so they dressed as females just for the fun of, you know, jumping, jumping, right, into another aspect of themselves. And so um, that was my understanding. I hope I understood them right. But, you know, uh, let me just say that that was my instinct. And that's translated into English from Japanese. So that's, again, a kind of further step from their honest discussions with me. But I think that that's what it said. I did ask the the you know, guy, um, if that's what he would, they were talking about, and he thought that that was non-binary, sort of called it out for him. It's not a term that they had been using there at that time, so, and we were just starting to use it, so, and I had just happened to hear it because I knew somebody who's non-binary, right? Um, so that's how, um, that's the full mask situation. It almost goes into, it's still cosplay, because they were doing Sailor Moon, but there's an, a way in which it also becomes like an, an, a sort of a uh, another kind of um, movement into different areas, just like uh, two point D is, right? Um, and so it's just another way of cosplaying and performance. I think, yeah. They weren't common. They weren't at that time. They weren't common. So,
1: and it seems like there's a an alteration on previous patterns there as well. If, I mean, if they're on the trains, we'll inc- I mean, it's a very distinct difference from the little yes. two by two box.
0: Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was surprised when they told me this because I had been told that in no uncertain terms where they, you know, did people do this, right? Well, on the other hand, they do. It's just that, you know, they take, but you know, they're fe- they don't have any identity, right? Because the mask is on, right? So that they can kind of safely travel through. And I bet they get a little something from that, Right be able to be something else in the public eye. People stare at them, of course, and so forth. Um, And that's maybe something that they get as a plus. I'm not sure. But that was the reason, and so that they were dressing in, that they were completely anonymous. Because if they went to the squares, people would know who they were previous. And I think that's why they did it that way.
1: And yet, at the same time, simultaneously with being completely anonymous, like, you can be completely anonymous in a city by just sort of dressing kind of boringly and walking. Exactly. But with – because. The masks, as you said, they cover the whole head. I I think I've seen some of these, and they're they're quite large. They're
0: attention-getting in and of themselves. Yes, because what they're matching is how uh, manga is drawn and anime, right? They have really big heads and little tiny, thin bodies, right? And these two guys were really thin, right? They weren't tall. They were a little taller than me. That was about it. But I couldn't tell because the head was, you know, large. But um, but they, uh, yeah, I think... I think there is that kind of they're anonymous in terms of their personal identity, but they were having fun being the center of attention, you know, because, you know, they, if they were in their usual dress they would be totally anonymous, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of safely attention getting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And there's a, there's a picture I saw, um, online of a, inside a bus in, somewhere in Japan where there was a whole bunch of these Kigurumi characters in there, right? Now, the other sort of, um, again, sort of uh, offshoot from this was the furries and they also have like the totalizing mask and so forth. That generally is not cosplay per se, right? Unless it's like, I don't know, Scooby-Doo, right? <laughs> or character, right? Mm. Yeah. But so, but that's another sort of costumed fandom that has that full masking on them. Mm. Yeah.
1: So it seems like a a unique and still developing
0: development. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's like a, uh, it's a very much a kind of, uh, it's a different, aspect of identity producing, right? Of looking for a mode of existence in which you feel something more, right? You are lifted out of yourself and into something else, right? Um, through performance and costume, right?
1: It, I mean, truly, cosplay is a vast area. And that's one of the things I really love about this book is that you went to great lengths... And for all that it took forever to write, unfortunately, for reasons beyond your control, uh, that enabled you to include so many, uh, you know, so many different cosplayers and people involved um, in different aspects of cosplay that really enriches the book overall. Um, and having said that, I know I've taken up quite a bit of your time, but I wonder um, if I could just ask uh, where you said this project is moving forward, but. Where are you going from here, research-wise? What are you working on?
0: Well, uh, now I'm working on the shojo, right? Um, that moment where I saw shoujo manga in 2008, my brain flew out of my head, right? And just, Whoa, are you kidding me? Um, because it was not like anything else at that time. And so as I studied the shojo, and a lot of Japanese women um academics have written about shoujo. Um, and it's been out there for a long time and there's lots of research out there and I've just been, you know, gorging myself on it as much as I can studying Japanese so that I can read that stuff in Japanese too. And so I'm getting there, but, um, so, uh, I go there and I talk to people, um, a lot of times, um, if it's, uh, to basically understand why that character in such a highly patriarchal culture, and it is a very rigid patriarchal culture, why that face shows up everywhere. You look in the window of a restaurant and they show, you know how they show the plastic food and stuff, and there'll be a little figurine of a shojo, right? Very specifically shoujo, right? And so, you know, there are, you know they have little... Uh, things to keep you so you don't walk on a sidewalk that they're working on or something. But on the sign is shoujo, a face of shoujo, right? It's drawn as you would in a manga, right? And, you know, I have pictures of this from everywhere, right? She's everywhere. But because she's female, she's of no consequence, really. But the fact is that um, you know that when you have a hegemony of any kind, you also have a kind of upwelling of the Gothic, the thing that it is not. So if you have this heavy patriarchal culture that's all male, you're going to have sort of a <laughs> a rebellious female aspect that pokes up in different ways. And that's what's so fascinating about Shoujo, is that's the girl I'm looking for, right? That's the one I'm looking for. I'm trying to understand how this works. And there's lots of peculiar kinds of things that come out in Japan uh, via the shoujo persona. Um, and so I'm tracking her, not just in manga anime, but more so in the places where people don't even notice she's there. Um, and in the practices of, you know, the all the very peculiar geisha, and maiko, and so forth, um and so um yeah i think that's what i have been working on so i'm working on different aspects of that book right now
1: that's fascinating i mean i've read uh, shoujo manga and i've read uh, articles and things about shoujo manga but you're right i'd never thought about it i have definitely seen those shojo little figurines by the uh the food and all over i hadn't about those as an extension or contrast or
0: anything before. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, even shonen manga is now has started taking on aspects of shoujo manga. And just as shonen, shonen, shoujo is taking on some of shounen, I mean, that's beginning to come together um, because shoujo got to be, well, shoujo has all the hentai and the hypersexual and kind of pornographic stuff is under the shojo. Not the shonen, right? So that's interesting too, right? All of the gender, queer, all that stuff comes under shoujo. The first shojo manga is what BIA, what we call boys love, boy on boy. That was the first shojo manga, I sort of acknowledged one, right? By Moto Hagio. Hmm
1: who uh, just got inducted into the, uh, what is it, the Will Eisner Hall of Fame this past
0: year? Yes, Mm. yep. And that used to be one heck of a boys club, the Will Eisner thing, right? It's like, you know, because in this country, it was almost all male uh, artists, right? Until, you know, I think, like, again, in the 80s, things started to break up and so forth, gender-wise and so forth. But she deserves a spot because she is spectacular.
1: Oh, yes. But that said, uh, I am particularly interested in this project, and I hope uh, that when it comes out, we'll be able to discuss it further.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be happy to.
1: Thank you for telling me about your work with uh, cosplay and cosplayers, and I hope you have a good day.
0: Thank you, and the same to you. And thank readers for um, reading and listening to the audio on this.